0: Good afternoon. How are you all? Happy 2019. It's my first time up here this year, so I can say happy 2019 for the first time. Um, We are in our lectionary, lectionary readings. We are in what's called the second Sunday after Epiphany. And on these Sundays after Epiphany, we're called to respond to Jesus in faith through the gospel messages that really reveal his divinity and his true nature. That's kind of what we're doing at the moment. We're responding in faith to seeing who Jesus really is. And previously, over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at his birth and his baptism. And our passage today refers to kind of the beginnings beginnings of the signs and wonders that really begin to show his power and his nature and through which his power and nature are manifested. And up until now, the readings have been from the book of Luke. And today we are in the Gospel of John. And we are looking at the story of Jesus at the wedding of Cana. I think this is, you know, probably one of the most well-known stories in the Bible, isn't it? This is the famous account of when Jesus turns water into wine. And this story is unique to the Gospel of John, and John is a very different sort of gospel. He's a very different way of writing to the others. John didn't write to get the facts out there. He, it, it, this gospel, it, it was written 70 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, with the assumption that people actually already knew the facts about Jesus' life. And John had personal experience of being with Jesus, spending physical and emotional time with him as a disciple. And now he has had 70 years to meditate on that experience and he can see and share Deeper significances, I think, that that anybody else could at that time. He's not looking to tell his readers what happened so much in Jesus' life. He wants to tell his readers what the life of Jesus really means. And it's not what it meant 2,000 years ago in Palestine. It's about what does it mean personally for us forever. That's what John is talking about in his gospel. And because of his Jewish culture and the depth of his understanding, there are many symbols and metaphors in the Gospel of John. And the best way to read it is kind of not to get stuck in the detail, but realizing that the detail is still important, because John doesn't say or mention anything just for the sake of it. Everything seems to have a little meaning. And John is always pointing people towards who Jesus is and what we can expect from him and what we can know about him. So it's with all that in mind that I really want us to read this passage together today. And our passage is from John 2, 1 to 12, which is up there. So, the wedding at Cana. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. And when the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. And they remained there a few days. So I wanted to kind of come at this passage from a surface level and then kind of go a bit deeper into the metaphor and um, kind of mine the gold beneath, so to speak. On a surface level, I think what really stood out for me at the first reading especially, is the interaction we see between Mary and Jesus and also the reaction of Jesus to the situation. Mary seems to be um, at a real organizational level with the catering at this wedding. Um, It's possible and probable actually that it was a relation Of her family, of their family being married that day and she's so concerned that the wine has run out because this would have been a very very shameful and embarrassing thing to have happened to the bridegroom's family. Um, Weddings were, and probably still are, but were at that time especially a really big deal in Jewish culture. I mean, we think an Irish wedding is a big deal, and we have a few weddings coming up in our community, which is going to be great fun. But Jewish wedding celebrations went on for nearly a week. Ross and Gina, Emma and Dara. Can we have a week celebration, please? Looking forward to that. They needed a lot of wine, so you better get ready, okay? So, anyway, Mary, Mary comes to Jesus, and we see what seems to be initially quite a harsh interaction, you know, his reaction, she says, you know, that they've run out of wine, and he says, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. And I think initially, you know, we read that and kind of go, rude, okay? Um, but it does kind of sound quite rude, and, but in the Arabic translation, that term woman it actually would have had quite a familiar and quite a affectionate undertone to it. And it's actually the same way that Jesus addresses Mary from the cross. So it's quite a familiar exchange that's happening. And what's interesting here, I think, is to see that Mary's, Mary's faith in Jesus, her, in this, her faith in this exchange is in her son, but it's also in this growing understanding that she has of her son being the son of God and the Messiah. And she goes to Jesus as you know, the, the male head of the family that there's no mention of Joseph. He, he, maybe he's passed away at this time, so it would have been her natural reaction to approach Jesus and say, hey, help me with this situation. It would have been the normal thing for her to do. But he answers her, I think, in the context of answering a believer, not just answering his mom. And in that conversation, he kind of tries to move her from a mother's perspective to a believer's perspective. And it's her response that I love and I love to learn from. She responds in total trust and obedience And if you notice, she doesn't question him or suggest how he might go about sorting out this situation of no wine. She simply tells him the need, and she leaves it with them, and then she goes straight to the servants and she says, just do what he says. And she encourages them also to trust him. And there's something why does this think something huge to be learned in her posture here? You know, I think we have a tendency, I have a tendency, to dictate to God how I want him to work things out for me, how I want him to fix my needs. And when we come to him in prayer, it's like I already have, we already have an idea of how I'd like things to play out. And the solution, the solution is what we ask for in supplication instead of simply lay down the need, lay down the need before him, then trust him in the outworking of it and watch and wait to see what he does. And that can be quite a hard, thing to do. And remember, it's coming for Mary out of a place of a deep connection to her son and knowing him so well. And that's where we need to be. We need to be in that place of knowing who Jesus is to us and being able to lay down a need, trust, and watch and wait what he's going to do in our lives. In this situation, he says his hour is not come, which kind of leads us to think that he's not going to get involved, that he's saying, I'm not going to help. So why does he change the water into wine? Is this a sign, is this sign of his power and nature simply to encourage his mom and his disciples um, to affirm his divinity to them, to prepare them for what's to come, to change their perspective about who he is? Or is this amazing sign simply to bless this family Maybe it's simply an act of compassion. So this relative of his won't be shamed in the community. Remember, the way to read John is not to get stuck in the detail, but the detail's important. So I think now is the time maybe to go that little bit deeper and kind of mine beneath the surface a little bit. So what is John trying to show us through... This story and particularly through the use of the symbols and the metaphors that he uses. The the symbols were an intricate part of Jewish life and teaching and so it's helpful now, I think, to look at some of this imagery that he uses in these verses. In his opening chapters uh, of John, he uses this language to echo Genesis and the creation story. He opens the gospel in John 1, 1 um, with in the beginning was the word. He speaks then about light and darkness, and he then opens this chapter on the third day. He kind of sets up this mirroring of Genesis because he wants us to see the coming of Jesus into the world also as a new creation. A new people of God is to be born by faith in Jesus. This is what he's trying to show us, his readers. John's use of numbers here is also significant. The number six in Jewish culture stood for something unfinished and imperfect. Water represented purity and the Jewish faith according to the law and the prophets. And wine would have represented a celebration, joy and abundance. So we have six stone water jars. And the six stone water jars are filled with water that was used for washing and purification rituals. And these kind of stand for the imperfection of the law and its unfinished nature. But Jesus came to put an end to all that imperfection. He came to put an end to the imperfections of the law and to transform it with this new wine of his saving mercy and grace. Jesus came to transform the law through grace. He came to put love back into the law, to put freedom and celebration into the law, to fulfill it to make it more than just plain water, to make it wine. Jesus came to take the duty out of the law and to make it joyful and abundant. John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes into our lives, we are new creations and there's new qualities and abundance which is like turning water into wine and remember there were six stone jars they were about 20 gallons each he turned six 20 gallon water jars into wine that's about 120 gallons of wine if i'm right if my maths aren't wrong Possibly even the Irish weddings here won't drink that much wine. But I think that's, even in that metaphor, it's showing, John is showing that not only is Jesus' grace sufficient, it's overflowing, it's more than we need, and it's, it's not just for us, it's for everybody. That there is, there is no need will ever exhaust the grace of Jesus. I just think that's a beautiful beautiful thing to know that i've i have never particularly seen in this story for myself when we allow the water of our lives be transformed into wine through god's presence we get to live in that grace and joy and abundance of spirit that he came to share with us but we've got to allow him to do it Jesus died and he was resurrected so that we may have life and have it abundantly. That's what he says in John 10:10. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. How amazing is that? In whatever situation we're sitting here in today, how amazing that we have the opportunity to live every day in that richness and in that truth. In our yes to Jesus and in our surrender to his love and by his spirit, we can live in joy and in abundance even on our worst days and even in the trials that we face. He can change the water of our lives into wine every single day and we can know his kingdom on earth and his plan and his purpose in our lives. And that's what we want to be as a community of people. We want to be a people who are open and ready for that and who want to live in this abundance that he has for us. And we thank you, Lord, for that truth. So to finish and kind of to try and apply this truth and teaching to our lives, I kind of want to go back to Mary, where I started, and to how she approached Jesus in her need. And to remember that posture of faith that she had. She laid down her need, she trusted, and she waited on the outcome she comes and she says, the wine has run out. And I guess what I'm trying to invite all of you into now is to that place where if you can imagine Jesus standing in front of you, what's your need? What, if anything, can you name today that has run out in your life, is running out in your life? And if there's nothing that you can think of, give thanks that you're full. Give thanks that you're in that place. But for those of us who are in that place where there is a little bit of stuff running out, maybe it's my hope has run out. My patience has run out my well-being has run out, my joy has run out, my peace has run out, my gentleness, my kindness, my trust, my perseverance, or my security. Let's bring those needs now before Jesus today, just like Mary did. And Mary had faith that could trust even when it didn't understand. It looked like he had refused her, but she still went to the servants and said, do whatever he says. So let's just decide as individuals and as community today that we're going to pray in that posture today and every day let's pray